Today I'm going to be talking about a teaching that I've entitled Ministering Unto God, stressing the importance of relationship with God. And I'm taking some things for granted. I'm taking for granted that a person understands that the first step is to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord. The second step would be to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues. It's not limited to that, but it includes that as well as other gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I'm taking those two things for granted, which is a lot to take for granted. If for some reason you have never made Jesus your personal Lord, or if you haven't received this baptism of the Holy Spirit and received the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which one of them is speaking in tongues. If you don't have those, you really need that to go further in your relationship with God. Based on my personal experience, my individual salvation experience, and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit were the two most significant things that started me on this road to personal relationship with God. And if I had time, I could show you that through a lot of scriptures. So I'm kind of taking these things for granted. I'm ministering primarily to people who say that they're already born again and have already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they just realize that there is so much more in uh, depth and quality of relationship with God than what they've got. How do you go beyond that? How do you begin this process of becoming intimate with God? Now, that's a big question. And you know what? It's got a big answer to it, and there is no way that I can cover everything. Matter of fact, everything that I teach, if you took all of my teaching, all of my materials, all of those things are involved in relationship with God. You've got to find out what the nature of God is and find out that He's not a mean, angry God, which that's what I teach on uh, the true nature of God and God's not guilty and all of these kind of teachings that I've got. You need to understand how that God has already provided everything for you. And that's my teaching on you've already got it and so many other things. So, you know, really everything I teach is involved in relationship with God. You need to know the truth. The truth will set you free. But I really believe that after establishing that relationship with God is the goal of salvation and this is what you need to be heading towards, then to me the next step is to begin to understand how important it is to begin this process of relating unto God through you uh, initiating it. God is already abounded towards us. It, it, the scripture says in many different places, but in, um, for instance, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says that God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Over in 1 John chapter 4, it talks about this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. So the point that I'm making here is you don't have to do something to get God to love you. God is already passionate about you. This is why He sent His Son to the earth was to remove that sin barrier so that He could have a relationship with you. So there's nothing you need to do to motivate God or to draw God closer to you. It's not a matter of God getting closer to you. It's a matter of you getting closer to God. Most people really haven't understood that. So that's the first step. But then the second step, once you understand that that is the goal of salvation and that this is what God wants, He wants relationship with you more than you want relationship with Him. Well, then what is the next step that you do? Let me just take a scripture out of Acts chapter 13 to begin this. And I want to read this passage unto you. This is going to be, if you can understand what I'm saying, this is going to be a radical concept. 
that is just foreign to many of the people who are watching this program. In Acts chapter 13, in verse 1, it talks about all of these people that were at the church at Antioch and Paul and Barnabas were two of them. They're very familiar. They, they are followed through the book of Acts, their missionary journeys. And in verse 2, this is Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, I just want you to focus on this phrase here in verse 2, Acts 13, 2. It says, as they ministered unto the Lord. Now, think about this. As they ministered unto the Lord. Did you know that most people, certainly at one time in my life, I thought there was nothing that God was in need of. There was nothing that I could do for Him. It was all about what God could do for me. Now, I thought that at one time, and I honestly thought that the only thing that I could give back to God would be my obedience and my service, and He might be pleased with that to a degree, but at the same time, I was well aware that I was just constantly falling short of being everything I should be. So, I never felt like I really had much to offer God. I could offer Him my service, but uh, I certainly couldn't ever fulfill it and do it properly. I didn't ever see God as having a need And yet this scripture here is saying that they ministered unto the Lord. Boy, when I first saw this, it rattled my cage. I remember thinking, God, what does this mean that they ministered unto you? What I believe this is talking about is in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, just a portion of that verse says, God is love. That is the very core and nature of God. God is love and God loves us. God loves you. And I know that there are some of you that have been taught that, oh, God couldn't love you because of all the things that you've done. But I can guarantee you it's just like my children. My children have done things that have offended me. I've had some really serious infractions come between me and my two boys. And yet, you know what? I've told them, I said, there is nothing you could ever do that would make me quit loving you. I love my kids. And if I'm that way and I am a corrupted, sinful man, how much more does our holy God love us? God loves us. Regardless of what you've been taught, God is not upset at you. He's not mad. He's not even in a bad mood. So if all of those things be true, which they are, then here is a truth that you need to grab hold of. That if God is love and He wants that love relationship with you, Well, then in that sense, God has a need. Any person who loves has a need for that love to be returned unto them. If you love somebody and they don't love you back, did you know what? That's what we make tragedies out of. That's where we get these dramas where, you know, it's just one of these tearjerkers because somebody loves somebody, but it never was returned. You know, to love a person and never have that love returned is frustrating. It's discouraging. And even though I believe that God is God and He's complete, and I don't believe that God's depressed and discouraged and crying because people aren't loving Him back. I believe He's more mature than that. I believe He's complete in Himself. I still believe that God, because of His great love for us, has a need for us to return that love unto Him. And so I say all of that to say that when it says that they ministered unto the Lord in Acts chapter 13 verse 2, you know what they were talking about? They were just loving God. They were worshiping God. They were praising God and blessing God. And you know what that did? It ministered 
unto God. Boy, what a radical concept. The Lord has paved the way for a relationship back unto Him and He is willing and able to love you in spite of what you've done. He's paid for all of those sins and removed them and God is wanting a relationship with you. So there is nothing you have to do to get God motivated. God is more motivated than you could ever imagine. He's more motivated than you and I are motivated to have a relationship with Him. In a sense, it's like the Lord has issued an invitation. It's like He's invited us to come in fellowship with Him. But we have to accept this invitation. In a sense, it's like a man proposing to a woman and asking if she will marry him. But you know what? Now he is waiting on the, on the bride's response to come and to accept that proposal. God has already provided everything. So we don't have to do something. We don't have to plead with God. We don't have to beg with God. I really believe that the Lord is motivated to love you and to fellowship with you more than any of us have ever thought of. There is no way that we can do anything to increase God's desire or God's motivation to love you and to show Himself strong to you. God's already done that. Now, that needs to be stated because religion as a whole, a lot of religion is teaching that no, every time we sin, it makes God pull back from us and not wanting to fellowship with us. And God won't fellowship with a dirty vessel. I'm saying God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to fellowship with. Some people will say God won't fellowship with you as long as you've got any sin in your life. Well, then He wouldn't fellowship with anybody. Instead, God has placed all of our sin upon Jesus. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. And there is zero reservation on God's part about loving and fellowshipping with you. You know, I know I'm belaboring this point, but it's because this is so contrary. Basically, all of religion, this is what it's about, is how you can make God answer your prayer, how to get God to move, how to get God to heal, how to get God to prosper, how to get God to save this person. I'm telling you, God's already done His part. The Lord has already provided everything. You aren't waiting on God to love you. And while I'm here, let me just make a a point that, you know what, when people come to me and say, would you please pray with me that God would just pour out His love in my life and that God would touch me and let me feel His love. Did you know most people would consider that a, a godly desire and a good thing to do? But because of the things that I'm talking about, it honestly makes me kind of angry when people come like that. Because you know what you're saying? You're saying, in a sense, it's God that has turned off the spigot and isn't letting love flow towards you. That God, for some reason, must be upset. He must be uh, put out with you or He must be on vacation or occupied with somebody else's request or something. And you've got to do something to get God to pour out His life. What I'm saying is that God is flowing with everything He is. His very nature, 1 John 4, 8, is love. And God is trying to release His love towards you. You don't have to beg, plead, pray, do anything to get God to love you. He has already loved you. And you say, well, I don't feel it. That doesn't mean He hadn't done it. It just means that you aren't operating in the Spirit. You're going by your carnal feelings instead of by what the Word of God says and you aren't going to be able to worship God unless you get in spirit and in truth. You're going to have to move over into faith and out of feelings and believe that God loves you. Believe the account that's given in the Word of God and begin to start entering into this relationship with God. Don't beg and plead as if you are powerless to do anything about it. 
If you are born again, then the Bible says that He's already commended His love towards you through Christ Jesus. And the love of God on the inside of us is poured out through the Holy Spirit that we receive. That's why I say that you've got to be born again and receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. But if you've been born again and been baptized in the Holy Spirit, God has dumped His love out on you. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, all of these other uh, things that are listed. God loves you. His love is on the inside of you in an abundance in your spirit realm. You've got a deep well full of all of this life-giving water. But instead of just asking and asking and asking as if you didn't have this well, what you need to do is take some kind of a step to draw that water that is in there out. That's the way it is with the believer. God has already commended His love towards you. God is already passionate about you. But you have to draw this out. How do you draw this out? This is what I'm beginning to talk about. When you take the step that we were talking about in Acts chapter 13 verse 2, and it says they ministered unto God. As you begin to give praise and worship unto God by faith, not because you feel a tingling, not because you've seen an angel, Not because somebody gave you a prophecy and told you all of these things and you were just overwhelmed with some kind of a physical feeling or manifestation. But when you take a step of faith and begin to do what I've been talking about, say, Father, I thank you that you love me. I thought that maybe you just forgave me of my sins because you felt obligated or guilty as a creator for your creation and the damage that was done unto it. And so you provided it and I accepted that. But God, I never knew how passionate you were about me. I never understood that you loved me, that you weren't angry with me anymore. And so I just want to say, Father, I love you and thank you for loving me and thank you for revealing yourself. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit so that through the Holy Spirit I can fellowship with you. And see, as you begin to start thanking Him and praising Him, you know what you're doing? You're ministering unto God, just like that verse we used in Acts 13.2. When it says they ministered unto God, it doesn't mean that they sat a chair down and imagined God sitting in it and started preaching unto Him. Sometimes, see, when we talk about ministry, that's the way that we take it, that we are preaching to somebody or telling them to do this. There's nothing that God needs from you except the gratitude and the thanksgiving for all of the things that He does. He just wants you to say thanks. It would be similar to a parent and a child. You know, a parent goes to great lengths. There's a lot that we give, and it's not that we won't pay back for all of that. All we really want is just the gratitude of saying, Mom, Dad, I love you. You're a good dad. Thank you for what you've done. And you know what? For most parents, that's more than enough compensation. And that's the way it is with God. There's no way that we can pay God back for everything He's done, but He does long to hear us just say, You're a good God. Thank you for the good things that you've done in my life. And see, when you do that, that ministers unto Him. God is a real person. He's a supernatural, divine person, but He's the one that created us in His image. And this thing that when people love you and bless you, that you just want to turn around and bless them back, that's the very heart and the nature of God. And I can promise you that when I start ministering unto God and blessing God and thanking Him, it just somehow or another makes the love and the blessing and the joy and the peace of God just come alive on the inside of me. 
You want to jumpstart this relationship and start getting more intimate and close to God. I'm telling you, the way you do it is to start blessing Him, ministering unto God, thanking God for the things that He's done for you. And here's a point I want to bring out. In Psalms chapter 34, you may be familiar with these scriptures, but there's just a bunch of these scriptures, especially in the Psalms, that talks about us blessing the Lord. Here in Psalms chapter 34, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. Now some of these terminologies here are really important. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. What does it mean to bless the Lord? You know, again, this has become a religious cliche. I tell you, so much of what I do ministering the Word of God is trying to get people beyond the cliches and just the religious trappings that, uh, you know, have become so familiar to us that we don't even question or think about what it's doing. But we in our religious culture today, I go to church and I hear people all the time going, Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. And they're just repeating those words. Did you know that just saying bless the Lord doesn't mean that you are blessing the Lord? Blessing the Lord isn't something you do, but blessing the Lord is when you do something and it blesses or ministers unto God. God gets blessed by it is what this is talking about. You know, I've used this example before, but a friend of mine, uh, she actually was a cocktail waitress in um, Las Vegas before she got born again. And then she had this encounter with the Lord. And I mean, she got radically, radically saved. And after she got born again, she was going to a church and they were talking about how she needed to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And she didn't have any religious training. She didn't know what that was about. But she says, if it's from God, she wanted it. So she said uh, to someone, how do I get this baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they said, well, you just start blessing the Lord. Just bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And as you do, you'll get this supernatural language and you'll start speaking in tongues. Like I said, this woman didn't have much uh, religious background, but the only thing she could think of is since it was called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, she figured it had to do something with water. So she went home, filled up her bathtub sat in her bathtub, lit some candles around the edge of the bathtub, and then she started going, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, just saying those words. And you know what? That's not what that's talking about, but praise God for His mercy and grace. You know what? She did receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoken tongues. Man, you don't have to do everything exactly right. But I use that as an example to say that. See, some people think that just by saying, bless the Lord, you're blessing the Lord. But that's not what it's talking about. To bless the Lord means that you start loving Him and you start thanking Him, praising Him for His goodness. And when you do that, you know what that does? It blesses the Lord. Another example of this is that my two boys, this is back when they were just real young. It was like when they were, I don't know, five and three or six and four, somewhere around there. I took them out one day and they each took a neighborhood kid with them and we went out and we rode my horses and we played in the creek. We made this swing that went across the creek. They got filthy, dirty. We ate junk food. 
We did all of the stuff that if their mother would have been there, you know, she would have said something about them getting dirty and eating the way we did. But boy, we just had a great time. And after that day was over, we took the other kids home. We uh, gave them baths. We had our devotions. We put them to bed. And I remember as I was leaving Peter's room, my youngest son, that he just said, Dad. And so I stopped. The light was already out. And I said, yes. And he said, you're a good dad. And you know when he said that, you know what that did? That blessed me. He didn't say, bless you, Dad. (laughs) That's not what he did. But what he did was just say thanks and say, you're a good dad. And you know what that did? That blessed me. And you know what it made me want to do? It made me want to get him up out of bed, go take him horseback riding, eat all this junk food, play in the creek and do these things again just so that I could hear him say, you're a good dad. And you know, some people think that by me making these kind of comparisons that somehow or another I'm bringing God down from being divinity down to a human level. I'm not trying to do that at all. Man, I recognize the awesomeness and the majesty of God. But I am saying that there is a comparison in the sense that God loves us that way. He loves me much, much, much more than I love any of my children, more than any parent could love their child. And in the same way as it blesses me when they say thank you and just say you're a good dad. You know what I believe, and I know some of you are going to be upset at this, but that's your problem. But you know what? I believe it really makes God's heart just go pitter-patter, makes His heart flutter when me or you or any of us, without any selfish motivation, just say, Father, I love you. Thank you for being a good God. God, you're a good God. And you know, it not only blesses him, but just like when my son did that to me, man, I wanted to go do something again so that he could just say, thanks, you're a good dad. I believe in the same way that makes God want to bless you even more. It makes God want to pour out more of his blessings, more of his joy, more of his peace into your life. And so when you start giving to God like that and ministering unto God, you know what it does? It sets in motion this principle of give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. So when you start giving praise to God, God will start giving blessings to you just to bless you back so that He can hear you once again say you're a good God. And then as He blesses you, you are even more thankful. So you just go to praising Him even more. That makes Him want to bless you more. And before you know it, you started this cycle of seeing who can bless each other the most. Man, I know that some of you, in a sense, take issue with me on this, but I'm telling you, I believe that this is true. I believe that God is blessed by my praises. That's what it means when it says, Bless the Lord. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. That's not talking about me just repeating words, but it's saying that as I express my love and gratitude and thanks towards God... It blesses God. And then God turns around and blesses me. And then I bless Him again because of His new blessings. And He blesses me all over again. Man, this is awesome. It goes on to say in the second verse, it says, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Did you know when you just boast in the Lord, not in yourself and in your own abilities, but you link everything you are and everything you have to the goodness of God and you credit God as your source. You know what that does? That blesses God again. 
I think that there's a correlation here. In verse 3 it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. How can you magnify God? The word magnify means to make bigger. You can't actually change the size of God or the ability of God. God is who He is regardless of what you think about Him. You aren't affecting God. God was here before you came along. He's going to be here long after you're gone. You are not changing God. So you really can't magnify God in the sense that you make Him bigger. Why then does it say magnify God? Well, you can't change Him, but you can change your perception of Him. In your thinking, in your heart, you can make God bigger by praising Him. As you praise God and talk about His goodness and remind yourself of all of the great things God has done for you, it doesn't change the actual size or ability of God, but it will change your perception of how big God is and how much power and ability that He has. And so you need to magnify God and it says, let us exalt His name together. Again, all of this is the same thing. It's just saying it in different words. To bless the Lord is to make your boast in the Lord. It's to magnify God. It's to exalt God. In the next verse it says, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. And you know what? Seeking God will bless the Lord. All of these things are interrelated. And I bring all of this up to say that this is the next step. Once you understand that God wants personal, intimate relationship with you and that He's removed the sin barrier that kept us from being able to fellowship with Him, now what do we do to get it going? Well, you start blessing Him. You start thanking Him for the things that He's done. And you know, I feel like this needs to be said because I meet people all of the time and talk to them that I'll tell them about, you need to be thankful, you need to start praising God. And often I will get back a response about something like, Well, I don't have much to praise God for. You know what? I've got this problem in my life right now and I'm going through a divorce and my kids have done this and I don't have health and the doctor told me I'm going to die and they start talking about their problems. You know, when that happens, uh, it's all I can do to keep from getting mad at a person. It really is. Because the truth is that even though, yes, every one of us have things in our life that could be better, every one of us, Right now, I've got things in my life that I'm praying for and I'm believing are going to get better. But you know, if I wanted to, I could sit down and just start magnifying the problems. Talk about the people, you know, that have come against me and some of the people that I'm believing God for great things in their life and yet they're struggling and they aren't cooperating. And You know, if I wanted to, I could look at things. I could be discouraged. That is true of any person. There's some of you that think you got it bad. And I'm not saying that, they, that everything is the way it should be. But you know, the truth is, if you've got your breath, man, there's still hope. Even if you are on your deathbed and it looks like you're going to die, we've got the promise of the resurrection. Jesus sealed that. Jesus guaranteed it by overcoming death and conquering death. So much so that the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? You know, if worse comes to worse, and if you die, if you know Jesus, you're going to go straight into the presence of God. You are going to win even if you lose. You've got all of these promises. If you're poor today, I believe that God wants you to prosper. But if you never saw prosperity in this life, you are going to live in a mansion someday on streets of gold. You've got things to be praising God for. You've got, for every negative in your life, there is a positive that counteracts it. 
that offsets it. And it's your decision whether you choose to think on those good things or not, whether you magnify the bad or whether you magnify the good. And what I'm talking about is in personal relationship with God, here's how you begin to develop this intimacy and how you enter into a maturity and into a depth of relationship with God that most people don't. By exalting the Lord instead of exalting your problems. And as you begin to focus on this and just be thankful for the good things that you've got and quit whining and griping and complaining about all of the problems, you know what that does? According to these verses in Psalms 34, it blesses God. God gets so blessed that somebody would just praise Him. And boy, because of that, He responds with love and even a greater revelation of Himself. You hug Him, He'll hug you. Boy, you bless Him, He'll bless you. And I tell you what, it just begins this process of going deeper and deeper and deeper into a revelation of God. Here's another way I'll be saying the same thing that if you are a griper and complainer, and I'm not saying that you don't have problems, but if you are magnifying those problems and instead of praising God for the good in your life, you are magnifying the negative and you're worried about it and you're complaining and you're depressed and you're discouraged, I can guarantee you a person with those attributes will never have a depth and a maturity of intimate relationship with God. Let me go back and just amplify on a point that I made out of Revelation chapter 4. And if you're familiar with the scripture, Revelation 4 is where uh, John got called up into heaven. It says, come up hither. And all of a sudden, instantly, he was in the spirit and he was caught up into heaven. And he began to start seeing things that were going on in heaven. And let me just read a portion of this to you out of Revelation chapter 4. Beginning with verse 8, it says, And the four beasts, this is talking about four creatures or beasts that were before the throne of God. It said, Had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, then the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying... Now this is important that you get the picture. It says in verse 8 that they cease not day and night to cry, Holy, holy, holy. And these 24 elders... It says every time they say, holy, 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 they fall down on their face and throw their crowns before the Lord. So if the beast are constantly saying, holy, 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 and every time they say that, the elders are falling down and casting their crowns before the Lord, that means that these elders are just in a constant state of falling off their thrones, worshiping, giving all of the glory to God, and then they pick their crowns up, sit back down, and then the beast go at it again. Holy, holy, and they fall down. And it's just a constant scene of worship and praise to God. And here's what these elders are saying in verse 11. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. What was the original purpose and still the existing purpose of mankind? It's in this verse right here. It says that we were created for His pleasure. We are and were. That means that the original purpose and still the existing purpose of mankind is to be for God's pleasure. 
Now, on the surface, somebody might say, well, yeah, I agree with that. But did you know what? In practical terms, most people don't believe this. Most people believe. I, I actually have had this taught to me many times that the only way we can do, be of any service, the only way we can offer anything to God is just, just offer Him our service. If you've accepted salvation, then go out and help somebody else accept salvation and serve the Lord. Do a work for God. I tell you, there is such an emphasis on doing something for God that most people have become human doings instead of human beings. It's about all these things that we do. And most Christians equate God's acceptance of them on the basis of what they do. There's a place for understanding that, yes, we have a debt and that we need to do what's right. And that Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 1 that he was a debtor unto all men. And so there's a place for saying those kind of things. But let me just emphasize this by making this point. If the only purpose for your existence is to go do a work for God, then let me ask you, what was the purpose for Adam and Eve's existence? You know what? They didn't have a work to do for God like what we talk about today. They couldn't go to church. They couldn't work in the church. They didn't have tithes to pay. There was no such thing as tithes. There wasn't a church. They didn't have any demons to cast out. There was nobody but them, and everybody was in relationship with God. So they didn't have demons to cast out. They didn't have anybody to witness to. They didn't have any crusades to hold. They didn't have any evil to campaign against because there wasn't sin before they sinned. They didn't have clothes to believe for, houses to believe for, cars to believe for, so they couldn't believe for prosperity. They couldn't intercede and bind and loose and command deliverance on people. All of the things today that religion is telling us that you do and this is how you bless God and this is how you honor God. And again, in their place, there is a partial truth there. But Adam and Eve had none of those things. And this verse says that God's original purpose and still His purpose for creating us was for His pleasure. So if you think that the only way you can really honor God and do a work for God is by going out and casting out a devil, leading somebody to the Lord, working in church, paying your tithes, doing something, well then how do you reconcile Adam and Eve? What was their purpose? I'm telling you, see, that's a wrong attitude. God created Adam and Eve to love. He wanted to bless them, and the only thing He wanted in return was just their fellowship, their communion. He met with them every day in the cool of the evening and fellowshiped with them. God created man for fellowship. I don't know if that blesses you, but boy, that blesses me. Because again... Uh, religion has put God way up here and man down here. And did you know that as far as a corrupted man, as far as we are without Christ before He changes us, this is absolutely true to put this huge, huge gulf in between God and man. But because of our redemption and because we've been born again, there is a part of me that isn't outside of the realm of God. God recreated me and made me so that I can literally enter in and fellowship with Him. And the original Adam and Eve, the original creation was somehow or another, we don't completely understand it, but it was in God's class. And God literally fellowshiped with us and enjoyed doing so. And as we fellowshiped, I'm sure as Adam and Eve just told God things like, God, 
awesome tree I saw today. I saw the most beautiful tree that you created. You did a wonderful job. I want you to know I think that's your prettiest tree yet. Then the next day they come back. Oh, I found one that's even prettier. And they're just constantly praising God for His creation and talking about the fish that they saw or the sunrise or whatever. You know what? God enjoyed that. And they could minister unto God. That just does something to me to think that Almighty God would acknowledge me. Man, what an amazing thing. It's not that we're so lovely. It's that God is love. And God chooses to fellowship with us. What a great honor. And this is what He created us for. Not just to do something for Him. He didn't need another servant. He didn't need another angel. What He wanted was somebody that He could fellowship with. God wanted relationship with us. And so I'm trying to get this point across. That instead of giving God your duty and just doing something for Him, God is after your heart more than He's after your actions. And I can guarantee you this, if God ever gets your heart, He'll get your actions. And yet, there's a lot of people today that feel a sense of obligation to God, and so they go through and they do things, but they do it through gritted teeth. They do it with the wrong heart. They do it with murmuring and complaining, griping about how hard things are. And the Scripture says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I believe it's verse 3, that if you give all of your goods to feed the poor, and if you give your body to be burned, in other words, if you were to sacrifice your life and yet don't do it with charity or what the Bible is calling God's kind of love, it profits you nothing. What that verse is saying is that the motive behind what you do is more important than what you do. If you are serving God, and maybe you're just as straight as a gun barrel, but you're twice as empty. There's no love in it. There's no joy in it. You don't have a good relationship with God, but for whatever reason, you are disciplining yourself and you're doing what's right, but you don't do it with the right attitude out of a heart of love. It profits you nothing. And I'm saying that we have put such an emphasis on doing the right thing, going to church and doing these things, that we've turned people into human doings, not human beings. And God is more concerned about your heart and having your heart than He is having your service. If God ever gets your heart, I guarantee you, you'll give Him everything you've got. That's my testimony. Prior to this relationship that I've told you about, March the 23rd, 1968, You know what? I was serving God to a degree. I was living a holy life. I was going out and knocking on doors and trying to be a witness for the Lord. And I I was an introvert. And yet I would force myself to go out and witness to people. Even though I was an introvert, I would have to psych myself up to do it. But I was doing it because I was going to serve God. But you know what? My heart wasn't right. And so I would not only go on the adult visitation on Thursday night, but then I went on Tuesday night visitation. I started a special Tuesday night visitation, and I was the leader of it. And we went out and knocked on about four or five, six doors per evening trying to witness and get people to come to the Lord or to come to church. And I was doing these things. But I can tell you, in my heart, I wasn't doing it out of love. I was doing it out of love for me. I thought I had to do these things to earn God's favor in my life. But you know what? After this experience where God poured His love out in my life to where I came to realize how much God loved me and that His love for me was unconditional. It had nothing to do with anything I deserved. God loved me because He was love and not because I was lovely. 
Once I understood that and once I gave God my heart, and I mean I started loving God with everything I had, I nobody had to force me to go out and witness. And, you know, I actually quit the Tuesday and the Thursday night visitation. Not because I quit telling people about the Lord. It was because I started witnessing to everything that moved. I started talking to people from the time I got up until the time I went to bed. I didn't have to have a special designated time where I went out and tried to live godly. I started living godly 24 hours a day. I started seeking God and telling everybody, everything that moved in restaurants, I mean in convenience stores, everywhere. At one time, I actually made a promise to the Lord that I would never see a person that I didn't tell them about Him. And, of course, that might have been a good attitude or a good desire, but it certainly wasn't feasible. I remember standing at attention after I got drafted and seeing thousands and thousands of people march by, and I thought, I can't witness to them. I can't break formation. I can't get out there. It was an unrealistic thing, but it reflected what God had done in my life. I just wanted to tell everybody. So my point is that, see, when I gave my heart to the Lord and when I began to start ministering unto God and loving God and having a depth of relationship with God, it didn't cause me to serve God less. I served God more accidentally than I ever had on purpose before. And I'm telling you that if you have to, say for instance, if you're in a church and if you are having to tell people, you need to go out and witness to somebody and tell somebody about the Lord. And if you're having to condemn them, Like the church that I grew up in, they would often play on your emotions and they would sing these songs. One of them said, Will there be any stars, any stars in my crown when at evening at last I lie lie down? Another one was, Must I go and empty-handed must I meet my Savior's soul? Not one soul with which to greet Him must I empty-handed go. You know why those kind of songs motivate people to go out and witness? It's not because they love God. It's because they love themselves and they're thinking about someday I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to stand in front of everybody and it's going to be shown that I didn't ever tell anybody about the Lord. And so I've got to go out and tell somebody so that I'll look good. It wasn't about me loving people and it wasn't about me loving God. It was about me loving myself. And you know what? That condemnation and that guilt trip did motivate me to a degree. I witnessed to a degree But you know, anytime you do anything motivated by fear instead of love, the Bible says in 1 John 4, verse 18, that fear has torment. You know what? I was living holy and I was doing some of the right things, but I wasn't enjoying it. It was tormenting me. But after the Lord really revealed His love to me and I started walking in love with the Lord, man, nobody had to tell me to go witness to somebody. It's like a little kid. When they get a Christmas present or a birthday present and, you know, they've got something and they're so thrilled about what they've got, you don't have to tell that kid. Now, you make sure that you go out and tell every one of your friends that your dad got you this game or this gift and you make sure you tell them how much it costs and you make sure that you make them jealous of what you got over what they've got. You don't have to tell kids to do that. If they really like what they've got, it's just nature that you want to go out and share it with somebody else. If you have to condemn them and say, you make sure you go tell everybody how expensive our car is and how good their dad was to have gotten this car, then you know what? Something is seriously wrong in your relationship. If you give somebody, a child, a present, they're naturally going to want to go share it. And if you were to really understand how good God is, and if you knew how much He loved you, 
you would have to have classes to teach you how to do it correctly and slow you down and cool your jets for a while until you get the right message. Don't go out and try and make other people feel bad because they don't have what you have. See, but the reason we're having to use manipulation, condemnation, guilt trips to motivate people to go serve God is because they don't really have the relationship. If you were to get into the presence of God and fellowship with God and let God's love flow through you, I guarantee you it's better than anything else that this world could ever offer. It's better than anything you can buy. It's better than anything you could ever experience. It's better than anything you could ever shoot up or take. There is nothing that compares to relationship with God. And if you ever experienced that, if you got into this relationship, this intimacy with God, I guarantee you nobody will have to coerce you to tell other people about the Lord. Nobody will have to coerce you to study the Word and to pray and to spend time with God. God is awesome. God is the greatest person that you could ever spend time with. Spending time with God is infinitely better than watching television or watching a movie. I can guarantee you, if you really were to experience God, it won't be hard for you to start spending time with Him. And so the point is, God wants your heart and not just your service. And the way that you get into that intimacy with God, God's already provided it. He's already motivated. This is what He created you for. You need to recognize that. And as you start giving back and blessing God, you start the flow. And as you praise God, then God inhabits the praises of His people. Psalms chapter 22 around verse 3 says that. He inhabits the praises of His people. As you offer up praise to God, God manifests Himself. You know, in the Old Testament, if I had time, there's a lot of examples, but when the people would praise God, the glory of God would descend and God would manifest Himself. One time, Elisha was wanting to receive inspiration and and, uh, direction from God to minister to one of the kings. And so he called for a minstrel and they started blessing God and ministering unto God. And as they did, all of a sudden, the word of the Lord came through. Whether you've ever understood it or not, This is what's behind our tradition of when we come into a church service singing and praising God first. Now, it's not always done correctly and it's not always done from the heart. But I believe that this tradition originated from Scripture, places like Psalms 100 where it says, I enter His gates with praise and be thankful unto Him. Bless His name. And so we are supposed to enter into His gates with thanksgiving. That's what it says. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him. And it's the scriptural model. It's how He tells us to approach Him. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, you start by saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. You start glorifying God. Most people don't understand this, but the logic behind it is is that when you start ministering unto God and blessing God and thanking Him, it takes faith to do that because every one of us have problems. Every one of us have things that you could come before God and just always be talking about what your needs are and God, give me this and God, give me this and God, give me this. And if you wanted to, you could just make your whole relationship with God about your needs. But you know what? It's a step of faith to enter in and start praising God for what He's done and focusing on the good and mentioning that, Father, even if these things never work out, I'm going to spend eternity with You. When you start operating in faith, 
and you move beyond selfishness and beyond your need, and you start ministering unto God and blessing God, it starts a supernatural flow, a supernatural cycle. As you give, God gives back unto you. And you just begin to start being built up. So whether you understand it or not, when we come into a church service and if you start worshiping God and doing it correctly, it takes your mind off of your problems. It takes your mind away from the negative. It puts you on God. And as you start giving unto God, all of a sudden the anointing, the power, the presence of God begins to start manifesting. And in an atmosphere like that, miracles can happen. Your body can be healed. Your emotions can be healed. Your finances can be healed. Relationships can be healed. Whatever it is that you need can be healed. But you know, most people don't approach God this way. Most people, it's all about their need and they come in and it's like they're trying to grab hold of God and God, you've got to do this for me. You know, if you would just let go of your problems and begin to bless God for His goodness and thank Him for the awesome things that He's done, it would work out to your benefit you actually would receive more from the Lord accidentally than you ever have on purpose before if you just got the blessing and ministering unto God. So I I think this is profound. This is something that the Lord has taught me that has made a huge difference in my life. And to me, this is the vast majority of my relationship with God. It's just about loving God. That's what it's about. I don't spend very much time asking for anything. As a matter of fact, I believe it's just the opposite, that when you put God first and when you just go to loving God, you know what the Bible says? There's many places, but I could just pick out uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 14. It's In the first couple of verses, it's talking about if you're putting God first, then all of these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. And it talks about how you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. It doesn't matter if you live in a city or if you live in the country. It doesn't matter what you're doing, if you're coming in or if you're going out. He'll bless you in your basket and in your store. That's talking about like you're in your wallet and in your savings account. He will bless everything that you set your hand unto. No plague will come nigh your dwelling. People will talk about you and they'll shoot at you, but nothing will ever penetrate you. And it just lists these blessings as coming upon you and overtaking you, not you having to pursue them. You know why more people don't really experience the abundance and the uh, prosperity and the joy and the peace that God really has provided for us? It's because they're seeking things instead of seeking God. If you get God, you get everything that God is and has and and can do. And yet many people aren't really seeking the face of the Lord. What they're seeking is what God can do. I don't know if you get that, but there's a huge difference. There is a huge difference between seeking to be healed by God and seeking God. There's a huge difference in seeking to have God prosper you and bless your business and cause things to work out so that you could have a nice house and a nice car. There's a huge difference between seeking those things and just seeking first the kingdom of God. And of course, this scripture that is very familiar to most people, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek ye first, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. What are the things? If you read it in its context, it says what you shall eat, where you sleep, what you're clothed with. In other words, your physical provision. Instead of seeking the provision, seek the provider. 
And as you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and you want fellowship and relationship with Him, then health comes as a byproduct. Joy comes as a byproduct. Deliverance, peace, prosperity, all of these kind of things come as a byproduct of relationship with God. You know, I was just this last weekend studying about Moses. And I was looking at Moses and how he sought God. He went up onto the mountain, Mount Sinai. And he was there 40 days and 40 nights without eating or drinking. He didn't even drink water for 40 nights, which is humanly impossible. It was a supernatural time. But he was there for seven days in the presence of God. There was some visible manifestation of God's glory. And he was there for seven days before God spoke to him, before anything came. Just seven days. And you know, one of the observations I made as I read that was this is probably why I and other people don't receive more revelation from God because we just want to get the revelation and go. We want to get something from God, a word from God. Moses was just there seeking God. He was just there with God. He was just hanging with God without anything being said or done. Most of us don't really care about God that much. All we care about is getting something to use for ourselves or to use for someone else. But you know what? That's the reason that we don't hear from God the way that maybe Moses did. I'm telling you, Moses' life was all about his personal relationship with God. And all of the miraculous signs and wonders and all of these other things came from that relationship. And it's the same with us. If you really want to see the power of God manifest in your life, then you need to have an intimate relationship with God. You know, the Scripture reveals in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about husband and wife relationship, and at the end of that teaching, he says, this is a great mystery, but I'm really not talking about marriage. I'm, con- I'm talking about Christ and His church. And the Bible compares our relationship with Jesus uh, as the relationship of a man to his wife. And you know, when I married Jamie, I didn't ask her, would you please come and cook for me and clean my house and wash my clothes and serve me the rest of your days? Just imagine what kind of response you would get, guys, if that's the way you approached a woman and proposed to her. Would you please come do all of these things and serve me and do this? I guarantee you, today's woman would not take to that very good. <laughs> Amen. I imagine you would probably get a resounding no, a rejection, if that's the way you proposed. But did you know that actually, my wife, she runs a great house. I mean, she keeps a clean house. My wife cooks for me. She does a lot of things for me. And you know what? It really does enhance our relationship. Two are better than one. I mean, I'm gone nearly all day, every day, teaching in school, making television programs, traveling and ministering. And you know what? If I was cleaning the house and cooking and doing all of these things too, I guarantee you it would be a lot harder than it is. So it's a blessing that my wife does some of these things for me. But that's not why I married her. I could get a maid that would do those things. You know, when I proposed to Jamie, I said, I want you to share the rest of my life with me. And that's really what I wanted. I wanted a companion, not a servant. I wanted a companion. And she does some things for me. And those things are a blessing. But that's not what I wanted. I didn't want a servant. I wanted a companion. And it's the same thing. God didn't want just a servant. He didn't want people that will just serve Him and do things. 
He wants your heart. He wants you. He wants relationship with you. And if you haven't given Him your heart, but yet you've given Him your service, in a way, did you know that that would grieve God? The same way that it would grieve a man if a woman served Him and waited on Him and did all of these things, but then never really loved Him in return. I guarantee you that would not make for a good marriage. And did you know that the Lord commanded offerings and sacrifices in the Old Testament, but the people got to where they were offering sacrifices, but they weren't doing it as an expression or an extension of their heart. They were doing it as a substitute for their heart. And they were going through the motions, but they didn't serve God in their heart. Their heart was far from Him. And so because of it, Finally, the Lord got to where He says, away from me with these sacrifices. He says, there are stink in my nostril. Those were things that He commanded. It would be the equivalent today of going to church or paying your tithes or reading the Bible or doing something. Those are things that God commanded. But if you are offering God those things and you're giving Him your service, but you haven't given Him your heart, did you know what? That's not pleasing to God. The very things that in their place bless God out of their place, they actually are offensive to God. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, many of us have gotten to where we've become, we've just programmed ourselves, and we're going through the motions. But there's not this real intimacy and relationship with God and that's not what He intended. God created us for fellowship with Him. You know, let me give you this story that um, I couldn't tell you the exact years, but I know it's been at least 20 years ago. I was ministering on this exact subject on radio. That's before I was on television. And there was a woman in Huntsville Prison in Texas. And she was in for murder. And uh, I forget the details now. But anyway, this woman had heard me on the radio ministering on this subject of ministering unto God and saying that this is what God wants. He doesn't only want you to serve Him and do a work, but God loves you. If there was nothing else... If there was no one else to minister to, God would have died just for you by yourself. He wants relationship with you. He wants to hear you say thanks. And when you begin to thank God, you are ministering unto God and you're blessing God and that that is the focus and the purpose of your salvation. This woman who was on death row, I believe it was, for murder, heard me teaching on this. And she wrote me a letter. And I never will forget that letter. It was powerful. And she basically got born again after she was in the prison system. She had murdered somebody. And she just felt like that her whole life was wasted. And on top of everything else, she was in solitary confinement. So she couldn't even witness to a prison guard. She couldn't witness to another cellmate, any of the other inmates. There was nothing that she could do. She was a drain on society. It was costing money to keep her alive. She had hurt her parents they had disowned her. She was married with children and yet she had murdered somebody and so her own husband and children were ashamed of her and they had rejected her. Of course, she ruined another family by murdering somebody and caused them her. And anyway, this woman, now she was born again and she was forgiven, but she was under this mindset that the only way that she could make her life of any value to God was to do something for God. And yet she was locked up in prison, in solitary confinement. What could she do? And because of that, she just felt totally useless. She felt like she was occupying space, taking up space. And she told me in this letter, she said, I have spent, I forgot, months or years, whatever, just asking God to kill her so that she could get out of this life and just go to heaven. 
and begin to enjoy heaven. But after she heard me teaching on this, ministering unto God, and how that this is what God created us for, she wrote me this letter and she says, Now I understand that God loves me, not just what I can do. And the very fact that I can just thank Him for my salvation, thank Him that even after I've murdered a person, that He has redeemed me and forgiven me and that someday I'm going to live forever in heaven with Him. This lady began to start praising God and saying, Man, now I've got a purpose for living. Now I've got a reason to be alive. And she just... And there was actually tears. This was written in pen 20-something years ago. And you could see where those tears had actually made that ink run and stuff. And this woman was praising God and talking about how free she was. And she says, I'm freer today than I ever was outside of this prison. She said, they can put me in a cell and lock me in and do all of this, but they cannot keep God out. And she says, I wake up in the morning now praising God. I know that when I begin to start offering praise and ministering to God, that I bless God, that God is pleased with me. I tell you, it was one of the most miraculous letters that I ever read. And it ministered unto me. It blessed me. There are many of you that have a lot of things going for you that this woman in prison didn't have, and yet you don't, you don't have any joy about the future. Man, you're struggling through, muddling through. You're depressed and discouraged. And I'm not saying these things to condemn you. I'm saying it to enlighten you. What's the problem? Well, you think, if I could get this situation to change, then my problems would be over. If I could get this person to do this, if I could win the lottery and get this money, then everything. Nope, that's not it. What it's all about is relationship with God. You know, let me take some scriptures where Paul was talking about this same thing. And in the book of Philippians chapter 3, Paul was talking against some of the people who had come in and started preaching legalism. And I could spend a lot of time explaining that, but basically... Legalism is believing that you do good things in order to obtain from God. But true Christianity isn't trying to get God to do something. It's believing that God has already given us His love freely by grace. And then the good things we do are a byproduct of relationship with God, not a way to relationship with God. Boy, that's a profound truth right there. I don't know if you got that, but that's powerful. And so this is what Paul was talking about. And he was criticizing the people who were talking about that they were holy and that they had done all of these things and therefore God would accept them. Paul basically is saying, look, I'm holier. I lived holier than any of you. And yet I had to come to a place where I realized I was never going to obtain my relationship with God on the basis of what I did. That's the background of what he's saying. So here he is in Philippians chapter 3. And in verse 4, he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinks that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day, which this was a command uh, in the Old Testament law, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, which was about the strictest sect that you could get as far as obeying the law, Remember, the Pharisees are the ones that paid tithes on even the spices that grew in their garden. They hired people to blow trumpets on the street corner so that everybody could notice, and they would pray out loud three times a day. And the Pharisees were these religious people that I mean were zealous about doing all of these holy things. In verse 6, he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. 
You'll remember that the Apostle Paul used to be called Saul and over in Acts chapter 9 is where he had this encounter and he saw a bright light. But he was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. He was living zealous of all of the laws, thinking that he was doing God all of this service. And he goes on to say in verse 6, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. He didn't say sinless. Nobody's ever kept the law, but he did it as much as he could. He was blameless. He was giving it all he had. But in verse 7 it says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul here is saying, why did he give up all of this? He was, I mean, on the top rung of the ladder of his profession, and yet he gave it all up. For what? It wasn't for riches. It wasn't for greater acclaim. It wasn't for more recognition and popularity. He says he did it all for the knowledge of Christ. And this is knowledge again, John chapter 17, verse 3, where Jesus said, This is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. He gave it all up for intimacy with God, for knowing God in a close, intimate, personal way. Boy, that's profound. That is something else. He had everything that the world could offer, and yet He gave it all up so that he could have personal relationship with the Lord. And he said, I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung. You know, that's just an old English polite way of referring to manure. That's what he considered all of these, you know, uh, doctor's degrees and master's degrees and all of these things that he had, all of the recognition of men, all of the pats on the back, all of those things were like manure compared to relationship with God. You know, if that's not the way that you feel, then it's not that your degrees are better than Paul's. It's because you don't understand the knowledge of Christ, the intimacy with God as much as Paul did. Paul's the one that had the right perspective on this. Paul is the one that said everything in comparison to intimacy with Jesus Christ is like manure. Man, that's the way that we need to have. And that's not to say that we don't sit here and acknowledge that there are accomplishments of people and thank God for the things that He's accomplished through us. But I'm saying that in comparison to our relationship with God, there ought to be the comparison that anything you've got is like a piece of manure compared to your personal relationship with God. Not everybody has this same comparison. And that's the reason that not everybody is making the impact that the Apostle Paul made on his world, and that's because we have an esteemed relationship with God the way that he did. I'm telling you, this is the key. In verse 9, he says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Again, this is talking about knowing, not in an intellectual sense, but in an experiential sense, in an intimate, close, personal way. He says that the reason he's doing all of this is so that he could know God. 
And remember that this is a man speaking who for 20 or 30 years had traveled the world and had seen the blind healed and the dead raised. And he had been imprisoned. And he had served God like nobody else had ever served God. This is written from prison towards the end of Paul's life. And yet after all of those years serving God in these things, he says that I might know him. And then he goes on to say, In verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Again, here's the senior statesman a leader in the body of Christ, the one that wrote half of the New Testament, saying, I'm wanting to know Him intimately. And he says, I haven't obtained unto it yet, but I'm seeking after, I'm pressing towards it. This one thing I do. You know, this is an encouragement to me, to anybody who has already begun this process and has recognized that relationship with God is the core of Christianity. It's the heart of everything. Man, I know God. And I have a wonderful relationship with God. But you know, it's like an addiction. You can become addicted to fellowship with God. Even though you know God, the more you know Him, the more you want to know Him. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's not saying that he didn't know God. He's just saying that he wants to know Him more. This was the one goal that the Apostle Paul had. And that is to know Christ and to make Him known. And you know, this book of Philippians, we were just reading from Philippians chapter 3. Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians from prison. And yet, in prison, there are 17 times that he talked about joy, rejoicing, rejoice, all of these words of of, uh, praise and victory. It is probably the most victorious uh, letter that Paul ever wrote anybody, and he wrote it from prison. And you know how he could do that? Because it was all about relationship with God. It wasn't about selfish ambition. It wasn't about success. You know, I'm aware that not every person is a pastor of a church or a full-time minister. But this applies specifically to full-time ministers. And I just want to make this point that, you know what, you can get to where you start off pastoring a church or in ministry because you love people and you want to see people's lives changed. But after a while, you get diverted to where you want to see your church grow. And you've got to have more people come in because you've got a mortgage to pay and you've got staff and you've got all of these other things. And after a while, it can get to where the ministry is all about you succeeding instead of about knowing God. But here's the Apostle Paul who had been shut up in prison. At this time, he had been in prison in Israel for two years. And then he was in transit for about a year and shipwrecked. And then he was in prison in Rome for an undetermined amount of time. So at least three years or more, Paul had been out of the ministry as such. The only ministry he had had was the letters that he wrote. And it wasn't all about his fame and his success and these things because basically he was so limited in what he could do. And yet here's Paul writing from prison and praising God. And he actually wrote this book to the Philippians because they were concerned about him. And they didn't know where he was. And they had wanted to meet his needs and give. And they were concerned about was Paul still alive or dead. And yet they didn't know where he was. Finally, they found him in Rome. 
and they had heard that he was in prison. This is now at least the third or the fourth year of his imprisonment. These people were concerned. And so Paul was writing this letter back to the Philippians to comfort them. Now, he's the guy that's been in prison for three years. But instead of saying, oh, please have mercy on me, and instead of writing some pitiful letter, he is prospering. Because again, it's about relationship with God. And it, you know, if you get your priorities right, if it's all about relationship with God, then it doesn't matter if they put you in prison. It doesn't matter if you're laying flat of your back in bed. It doesn't matter if you get laid off from work. It doesn't matter if your mate divorces you. It doesn't matter what's going on. If the thing that makes you tick is your personal relationship with God, then regardless of what else goes on, God is the same. And if your life is bound up in God and your relationship with God, you can be the same. If you're a person that's up and down based on what your circumstances are like and what's happening to you, then that is an indicator of the fact that your relationship with God is really lacking. I know many of you don't like that. Somebody's going to probably write in and dump on me, but you know what? It's the truth. You're entitled to your opinion, but I'm not going to agree with it or we'd both be wrong. So here's the Apostle Paul writing to tell the people and to comfort them instead of complaining about how bad his lot is and asking for pity from them, he's ministering to them. And listen to some of the things that he said in Philippians chapter 1. He says, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. So here's Paul trying to encourage them. What can you say if you've been in prison for three or four years? What are you going to say to people to try and make it sound like it's all worthwhile? He says, Oh, it's all worth it because you know what? The gospel is being proclaimed Let me just ask you this. If most of you had been thrown in prison for three or four years, would you take comfort in the fact that maybe the gospel had been promoted and that Jesus was going to be lifted up? And if you were suffering, it wouldn't matter if somebody else got born again in your prison cell and it wouldn't matter about this. You would be looking at things from a selfish standpoint. But see, Paul wasn't like that. Paul had counted everything else compared to his relationship with God as manure, as dung, and he loved God so much. His relationship with God was so good that if Jesus was being exalted, he wouldn't mind uh, taking the back seat and suffering in prison if that's going to help Jesus to be exalted. Man, that's a depth of a relationship that most people today don't have, but that's exactly what he's saying. In verse 13, he says, "...so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word with, with, uh, without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding... Every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. You know what he's saying here? He's saying some people have seen him in prison, and yet he still continued to preach the gospel, and it has emboldened them to just be bold in their proclamation and to stand up and speak the truth without fear. But then there's other people that preach the gospel mocking him. And I personally believe what this is talking about is people like in Rome, had heard his testimony and his, his um, preaching that Jesus was crucified, dead, 
and rose again the third day. And they were probably mocking him like going around saying, have you heard what this lunatic prisoner is saying? He's preaching that a guy named Jesus was raised from the dead and that he bore our sins. They were mocking him. They didn't believe it. They weren't sincere. But Paul is saying, I don't care what their motivation is. At least the truth is getting out. People are hearing about Jesus. And that's something that God can use to quicken this to people. So Paul didn't matter if people were mocking him or whether they were preaching in sincerity. He was just thrilled that Jesus was being uplifted. Again, most of us are so wrapped up in ourselves. But Paul's just the opposite. Again, because of his depth of relationship with the Lord, he could endure things like this. And he goes on to say in verse 19, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Man, this is a dramatic testimony to the depth of relationship that Paul had with Jesus. He loved Jesus more than he loved himself. He wanted Jesus to be glorified, and he says, if it costs me my life, if dying is going to help promote Jesus, then so be it. How many of us could say that? And yet, did you know that Jesus has done just as much for us as He did for the Apostle Paul? It's not Jesus who's different towards you or towards me than He was towards the Apostle Paul. It's the Apostle Paul who was different towards Jesus than you and I are. He had accessed this relationship. He had developed it and enjoyed it to such a degree that he literally had lost his own life in his love for the Lord. And he goes on to say in the next verse, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's even better to die. He was so excited about going to heaven and being with the Lord that, you know what, how do you intimidate a person like this? The Apostle Paul would go into places and they said, Quit preaching the gospel or we'll stick you into prison. So he'd just keep preaching the gospel. They'd put him into prison and he'd go to praising God at midnight in Acts chapter 16. And all of the prisoners would be saved and the jailer would be saved. And so they'd throw him out of prison because he was getting all of the prisoners saved. And he'd go back and preach the gospel. Then they'd come and say, we're going to kill you if you, you don't quit preaching the gospel. And he'd say, for me to live is Christ and to die is even better. How do you stop a person like this who loves God more than he loves himself? You can't stop him. You can't intimidate them. You can't take their joy away. Do you know what? This is a safe position of power that every born-again Christian should occupy. This is available to every one of us. This is how you start moving into more intimacy with God is that you start ministering unto God, believing that He's already done these things for you. Go to the Word. Find out what He's done. Start thanking Him for it. Bless the Lord. Magnify the Lord. Exalt the Lord. Minister unto God. And as you do, I guarantee you, you will be ministered to yourself. You will begin a relationship with God that will get sweeter every single day. I believe that with all of my heart.